You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressandcrest.org. We are glad that you're joining us again today for Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. We are in a middle of a series right now where I am interviewing all of the different ministers on the Preston Crest ministry team, letting you hear their heart and their voice that I get to hear every week. Last week, we had a conversation with John Scott Davis about worship and particularly how he sees a big difference between leading singing and leading worship. And I really enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully you did as well. Uh, today I have Bob Chisholm in my office, who is our minister at Preston Crest for spiritual formation. He's also very instrumental in our small groups ministries. I know you're going to be blessed by what Bob has to say today and hear a little bit more about what Bob does. Bob, we're glad that you're with us today. Good to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been at Preston Crest, another ministry, um, I guess environments you've been in before, your family, all, all of that good stuff. All right. Well, I've been here about 19 and a half years, which is kind of amazing to me. I've never been anywhere that long, even my birthplace. It seemed like every other place was about seven years, not by plan, just God said, I'm ready for you to go some other place now. But I got here, and it's been 19 and a half years, so must be a good fit. And Dr. Prentice Matter was instrumental in you coming to Preston Crest. Is that correct? Right. Other than my father, he's probably the only true mentor I've, I've had in my life, and he was a major impact on me. And you came here to kind of would you get small groups up and going and also share the pulpit with him? What was that original arrangement? You've talked well, about that. Well, small groups were going. It was okay. kind of a handoff. Okay. Um, and Dave Malone was doing that, and he was mourning and needing to move to an, in another area, uh, actually another place. And so I took the handoff, but Prentice also wanted me he, to be kind of a preaching associate. Mm -hmm. And so we actually shared the pulpit. In fact, we did what we came to call tag team preaching. We actually, one series, it just seemed to be good for us to both actually stand up there at the same time and pass the sermon off. And it worked so well that we just kept doing it. Hmm. And it was very enjoyable. I don't know that I could do that with many people. It took kind of a special chemistry sure. there, but, but sure. it worked real well. So I did preaching with him. Okay. And tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, my wife is Pam, and we've been married almost 46 years. We like to tell people that we've been married for 46 years, and the last 43 have been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> the first four, three were like, who are you? And, uh -huh. uh, but we, we uh, have a wonderful marriage. Got two kids, uh, uh, David and Jessica. Jessica's married, lives in Memphis, 
Her husband is a minister there. Uh, Dave and his wife, Stephanie, live in Austin with her two granddaughters, uh, Franny and Ada. In fact, Pam is down there right now with them. And uh, so uh, it's we wish we could be in either place, but being between them halfway is kind of where I, I guess we need to be now. And you spent some time, was it in Springfield or is that right? Right. Springfield, uh, Missouri. Right. I, we were married, went to school in Memphis, mm-hmm. uh, graduate school there, and was a campus minister there at Southwest Missouri, excuse me, at Memphis State. Uh-huh. Then went to Springfield, Missouri, campus minister at Southwest Missouri State, and then went on up to Kansas City for the first place. I was preaching, went back to Memphis for preaching, and then came here. Okay. So you've seen several different states, several different environments. It's amazing how different even Memphis and Dallas are. I'm oh, yes. very familiar with Memphis as well, being Harding student. So I know Preston Crest is so glad that you've been here for uh, the tenure that you have been. And you got very involved, I guess, about 10 years ago in the spiritual formation area of ministry. So, Bob, in a nutshell, what is uh, spiritual formation? Well, it's uh, uh, I think the best way for me to, to explain it is to just take that phrase apart, spiritual and formation. And the word spirit is from the word pneuma, and it just means breath. Mm-hmm. It's the spirit. It's my soul. It's what's in me. And a couple of scriptures come to mind. One is Ecclesiastes 12. It says, the dust returns to the ground, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Um, and the other word, form, spiritual formation. Form is the word uh, morpho, and it means to shape or to sculpt, to change, to build. And and I think of Galatians 4, where Paul said, I am again in the pains of childbirth until God is formed in you. And so spiritual formation is God forming himself in us. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of it in a, a working definition for me. Okay, so it's really getting in touch with what God is doing in the life of each individual believer and how that believer kind of ties into God's narrative for all of creation. Right, it's 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 my inner life, and honestly, it was a part of my life that I, I neglected. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really taught much about it. Right. I was taught, here are some things you need to believe, and here's a, a list of doctrines you need to make sure they're correct, and maybe here's some things you need to help people with, but your inner life uh, was not addressed very much. Yeah, that is so interesting that you said that, because within Churches of Christ, at least, um, we've had a hard time finding that balance, what you're talking about, where people get nervous when we start talking about spiritual formation. They relate that with charismatic, rolling in the aisles, speaking in tongues. And that's not at all what this is. This is getting more in touch with the spiritual nature of God and what he does in the life of believers. Um, I just finished a doctoral class through Liberty University, and the title of the class was Ecologies of Spiritual Formation. I thought about you through the whole class. Um And the professor wrote a book actually called The Ecologies of Spiritual Formation, which is why we had that class. But he related spiritual formation to the way that the whole ecological system of the earth works, that everything is connected to each other, plants to the sun, plants to humans, um, that the body of Christ is spiritually connected, kind of like the ecological system of the earth, and getting in touch with how God connects to us and how we connect to God. Fascinating mm-hmm. study. So, 
when and kind of why, I think you've touched on the why a little bit, but kind of when in your life did you start to develop such an interest in this discipline? Well, when I was a, an early campus minister, um, I was just kind of at, at Memphis State. I was an intern there, the campus minister moved, and the church there asked me if I would just step in, and I, I said yes. And I was kind of stumbling into ministry, mm-hmm. and this, seriously, I did this. I thought, okay, what do what do college students need? And I thought it through, and I put on the back of the door of my office so nobody would see it but me, because I was I was working this through. I drew a little flow chart, and I drew a God track. I thought they need to know about God. I drew a church track, flow chart track, and then I drew a. I called it Outsiders. I thought, okay, this is what we do. And so here are the programs about God. I want to take college students through in a given semester. Here's some programs and things I want to take them through with fellowship and with the church. And then here's ministry on the campus. And I grew later to call those, as I kind of worked out in my mind, I called them Upreach and Inreach and Outreach. Mm. And I didn't know where that was going to go. And it was only later that I found the the biblical basis for it. It's kind of backwards, but someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? He said, well, I really can't just give you one answer. I have to give you two. Right. I can't talk about God without talking about people. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God is upreach. I have two kinds of neighbors, those who know him and those who don't in reach and outreach. And that was where it was got its birth for me. And um, and, and kind of looking back, uh, I, I, I went further than that because at that point I was preaching, but I still was not doing what Jesus did. How, how do I take that further? Uh, Jesus didn't write a book and he didn't he didn't call crowds to him. He chose a group. Mm. That's the first thing he did. And I had not done that. And so while I was preaching, I got one group and I began to focus on them, trying to do what I saw Jesus doing. And I, I asked myself this question. I said, when I get to the end of my life and I look back, would I like to say you made a good impression on lots of people or you made a permanent difference with a few people. And I thought, okay, which one is Jesus doing? Well, he chose 12, he focused on three, he graduated 11, that's what Jesus did. Now, there were crowds and they heard him, but what he really did was train 12 people. I wanted to do that. That's a beautiful balance. And we've shared that conversation before that Ministry is not always under the bright lights and a microphone. In fact, some of the most effective ministries in a living room or in a coffee shop or in a, a counseling center. So that's a mm-hmm. neat story, neat story of how you kind of saw in your ministry where you needed to fine tune things. And that statement, reach up, reach in, reach out, beautiful concept. Um, people at Press and Crest know that it's very tastefully done in our foyer, the different graphics. If you ever visit Press and Crest, you will see that. And obviously that's attributed to Jesus, but we also give Bob Chisholm credit for the creativity of the uh, catchiness of that Mm. slogan. So 
uh, very special for this church. Okay, so why do Christians have such a hard time getting in touch with true spiritual health? Well, there's a lot of answers to that, but I think the one that stands out to most to me is uh, they don't have any space left. They don't have any time left. We've been taught to completely fill our time, mm-hmm. to schedule our day. In fact, you don't want to waste a single minute. Now, I think what that has done to us is when I completely plan my day, I'm essentially telling God, I don't expect you to tell me something that I've not already thought about. Mm -hmm. I don't expect you to teach me anything today that I've not already thought about. And that's the problem. I'm not looking for anything more from him. I'm not looking outside my own mind. I'm not leaving any space for God to do anything, to work actively and consistently in my life. Um, I, I really like the way Randy Harris put this. He said, if you are overextended, then you're undercommitted. And I've thought about that. I, I thought, well, I suppose I could argue with that and say, how could I be undercommitted when I've given myself to so many good things, but I can't give much of myself to any one of them. I'm overextended. And uh, I've, I've done a lot of reading about this. And one of the things that's challenged me the most is uh, a, a piece by from a book called Sacred Pause, the idea of just stopping. And I, I wrote this down. I want to read it. It said, when was the last time you stopped, made space for silence in your life? I don't mean slowed down. I don't mean found a better balance between work and recreation. I don't mean read the newspaper while savoring a cup of coffee. I mean stopped. When was the last time you came to a complete stop in activity and in spirit, placed a period at the end of this run-on sentence you're pushing yourself to live? And that's really what I see people doing. There's no room. And so how can God, you know, wedge himself into my life when I don't give him a place to do it? And that, that's where God does his work is in these empty, deliberately uh, cleared spaces for him. And I, I can read his word. I can take a walk in the park. Uh, I've got to give him some space. I love that picturesque statement you're trying to put a period in the run-on sentence of your life that's a wow that's really well written so so you do see then that some of it can be combined though you mentioned walking in the park i i enjoy walking my fiance and i walk every night when we get off work and we that's when we do some of our best talking you know if you sit down you find yourself not enough going to sleep so so talk with me a little bit about that that's not on the the list of questions here but you're quote unquote expert in this field. Um, when we talk about having silence and listening to God, a lot of people mm-hmm. get nervous about that because they say, okay, well, are you saying that God is speaking to you in audible sentences? And I think I'd know you well enough to say you would say, no, that's not what's going on. What What do you mean when you say stop and, and listen, listen to God? Um, well, I'm looking at your window here at creation. Mm-hmm. The heavens declare the glory of God. Mm-hmm. We're designed to travel at a speed of, 
you know, maybe one, one or two miles an hour mm-hmm. walking. Mm-hmm. How fast do we usually go through the city and through the country? 65, 70 miles an hour. That's if we're driving a speed limit. We go past God's creation at such a speed we can't see it. We, we can't see the stars in our city. We don't take the time to go spend in his creation. Um, and that is uh, the creation is uh, merged with his word. Uh, there's, a, there's lots of places in the Psalms that say, and the trees clap their hands. Mm-hmm. What's it describing? It's describing the wind blowing through the trees. So those are places. And then I think uh, I read uh, of, a, of a person that was trying to determine, okay, what does God want me to do? Where does he want me to go? Who does he want me to marry? What does he want me to do for an occupation? I don't know that God is going to tell you, you need to marry Pam and you need to work here. What he's saying is get close to me. Learn my character, um, my priorities, and then you will be equipped to decide mm-hmm. what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 slowing down. Now, one thing that I do when I take my walks, I walk each day too, and I am uh, I call it prayer walking, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a labyrinth. The labyrinth is uh, you walk around uh, circles and you change your topic each time you make the turn. Well, my neighborhood is my labyrinth. And the first stretch is I'm praying about me and God. When I get to the corner and turn, I begin praying about my dad, who's 92 and with some health issues. When I get to the next turn, I start praying about my family. And the next turn, I start praying about my ministry. And so I have kind of a a prayer walking uh, style there. That's neat. And I use what I call breath prayers through the day. I take scripture, like the one I'm using uh, this week, is create in me a clean heart, O God. And I inhale with create in me. I think it through and I exhale a clean heart, O God. And I'm rehearsing a truth while I'm doing a breathing exercise that calms me down mm-hmm. and stops this this hecticness that builds up in your life through the day. So there are some uh, ways of, of, of tuning my body and my spirit and my soul all at the same time. Right. That's good stuff. So um, we're talking a little bit about prayer and I guess meditations, also what you're talking about a little bit there. But uh, I guess Richard Foster wrote the book, The Celebration of Spiritual Disciplines, a pretty well-known book. Um, of all of the spiritual disciplines that we can think about, giving, fasting, meditation, prayer, um, reading of scripture, which one do you find the most helpful and, and why? Well, it's, it's challenging because they all mm-hmm. uh, need each other. Uh, but if I were to pick one, uh, I would say, I would call it quieting. And it's it fits with what I just said yeah. earlier. And uh, one way to illustrate this is one of my favorite scriptures is Mark 1, verse 35. I see this in Jesus. Mm -hmm. It said, early in the morning, Mm -hmm. while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And when I looked through that, I I found four kind of habits, uh, four little steps that can help me. And I call them 
time, movement, place, and purpose. Time, early in the morning, while it was still dark. Movement, he got up and left. Sometimes I need to leave where I am and go to another place. Uh, Place, he found a solitary place. And his purpose in that time was to pray. Mm. And I can use those four steps. My time may not be the morning. Some people say I'm not a morning person. Well, when is your time? When will be your time? Is it lunch? Is it in the evening? When, when will be your time? Movement, you may have to get up and leave. I knew a young father who told me had three little kids at home. And uh, by the way, I'm speaking to someone who has, has three, three little kids. At and he, he had to go in the garage. Now, they thought he was leaving home. He'd go to the door, wave at his kids. They'd wave goodbye. He'd close the door, and he would sit in a lawn chair in his garage. That was his time. That was He had to move there. And I may have to drive away from here and park at a park and sit on the bench. But movement. Uh, and then my place would be wherever that is. And my purpose would be prayer. It'd be journaling. It'd be reading scripture. It'd be reflection. Uh, but quieting, getting away, turning things off. And so intentional. Yeah. yeah. You've got to make it happen. And move away from your technology. Right. It fills. It will fill up your time immediately. Right. I'm so thankful that the scripture does not say early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus went off by himself and exercised. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even the Lord knew that was not a good idea. Well, I picture him even going into villages, uh-huh. seeing and marking in his mind, "Hey, that's a great place. I'm yeah. going to come back there yeah. tomorrow or this morning." <laughs> right. Okay. So. Um, one thing that you've done here at Preston Crest that you need to be applauded for is kind of bringing this whole concept of what you discovered in your own ministry to Preston Crest as a church. You have many different spiritual formation groups that meet different um, mornings, different times of the day. So if churches were going to begin the process of becoming more in tune with spiritual formation and kind of educating their congregation as you've done for Preston Crest, how would they begin that process? Well, of course, uh, preaching and teaching would, would be a great part mm-hmm. of this. But I would suggest starting with one group and learn it before duplicating it. I mean, uh, you can't just uh, one size fits all, plug and play. Uh, let me give an example. There was a church in Memphis that wanted to start a small group ministry. And mm-hmm. and, and uh, I was in the group when they presented uh, their pitch to the elders. And it was a deacon. He was an architect. He drew this beautiful picture. He said, a church this size needs 40 groups. And he had these concentric circles and it was had color. And it was, what would you expect to come off the table of an architect? And this is what we need. And they talked about it. And I was sitting quietly at the side. I was their campus minister. And one of the elders said, well, what do you think about this? I said, well, I have to be honest with you. Uh, 40 groups means... You need 40 leaders. You may have 20 that are willing to do it, which means you're going to have to coerce 20 more. Out of the 20, you may have 10 that want to do it. Out of the 10, you may have five that know what they're doing. So if you start with 40 groups, I think that's a scheduled failure. What I suggest is you start with one to five groups and work with that until you find how it's going to work and then duplicate what's worth duplicating. And that's really what we did here. 
I had I came here and I preached with Prentice and I had one group. I learned lots of things not to do. I learned that we don't go for two hours at five o'clock in the morning. I go for an hour and a half starting at 5.30 in the morning. I, I learned that I don't uh, do the curriculum I wrote, plus give them a book a month to read, mm-hmm. 12 books a year. No, I learned quite a bit. And the principle I came up with is I want to give someone very little to think a long time about, mm. to ponder. And so I would say start small, focus on people, not on programs, and then add programs and add resources and let this grow. You know, right now we have, uh, I lead about eight or nine groups a week myself. We've done about 270 people have done this, but it's been over the course of a year, actually years. And um, so I would just say, start small. I loved your line there too. I want to give them very little to think about for a long time. That's my approach for preaching too. Because so many preachers do it the opposite way. They <laughs> Here's 45 minutes of material that I know you're going to think about for five minutes because I've given you way too much to digest. Right. And, you know, when preachers get up and say, here's eight things today I want you to remember about faith. Like, really, man, they're not going to remember two of them if you're lucky. Right. Because they have busy lives. So give them very little with some depth. Give them a little bit of depth that they're going to think about. Mm-hmm. For a long time, it's um, it's pondering. We've yeah. lost m- mulling things over. Well, that's what the beatitudes are in Sermon on the Mount. You know, right. that's what Je- that's how Jesus preaches. Is, mm-hmm. That's what a parable is. It's a little bit for them to chew on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a very good point. Okay, so individuals, we've talked about this already, um, and I loved your designation of Mark one thirty five. It was time movement. movement purpose place place. yeah Yeah. um that's great way to look at that text but if individuals want to begin the process of getting more in tune with spiritual formation what would you recommend there well it's it's not a class it's not a retreat it's not a book it's a lifetime just know this is a lifetime um i heard someone ask this question they said what is the difference between a christian with 10 years of experience and a Christian with one year of experience 10 times. Both of them spend 10 years, but one of them had a plan. And at the end of the 10 years, they were a completely different person than they were in the first year. The other person had no plan and they just repeated their year over and over and over and they were not different at all. Yeah. And uh, so give it time, have a, a plan you follow. There's all kinds of plans. I would give, I would build into it some accountability. I would build into it uh, some groupness, so it's not just you by yourself. Know that God's going to work slowly. That's what that's how habits are changed. Yeah. That's how habits are formed. Um, the the groups that I lead, there are several people that have done them two, three, and four times because the structure works. I have a few people that have done it seven times. Wow. They just keep doing it. And this is a year-long commitment. So we're not going to have a weekend and you've got it done. Sure. Now, we're going to maybe introduce some things over the course of a year, and then you'll spend the rest of your life right. mulling it over, working it out. Right. Um, okay, so 
I put this question down because I'm curious to hear your answer. You know, if you need to check whether or not the oil is good in your car, you pop mm-hmm. the hood and you pull the dipstick uh, and you look at the oil. Mm-hmm. If you want to know if your heart's in good condition, you go down to the cardiologist, they run some tests. Um, they run blood work to know if you're healthy. They check your blood pressure. When it comes to spiritual health, we can't really plug ourselves up to a machine or take a blood sample to know if everything's functioning the way it should. So what is the most tangible way to diagnose your own spiritual health? Well, you're right. It's We can't do this um, the way our culture does it, the metrics, the way you calculate it. Uh, I heard an interview with Dallas Willard. He taught spiritual formation for 40 years. And he was actually talking about churches trying to answer this very question. And he said a mistake they make is he calls it the ABCs. Churches measure their growth by attendance and buildings and cash because they can see Mm. it easy. You can stand and count the number of people that were there. Uh, That doesn't tell you what was going on in the heart of any of those people. And you can count how much money we collected. And I'm glad we do, and it funds what we're doing. But still, what's going on? Jesus himself said, I stood in the temple and I watched people throw money in the collection for the wrong reason. So that doesn't really tell me anything. Right. And so he, in that same interview, he, he said this, and it's really worth pondering. He said, don't count your people, weigh them. I thought, okay, now wh- what is involved in weighing a person? I can't do it from a distance. I can't do it just by looking at them. I can only do that over a long period of time and lots of conversation. And so I think the way I measure my own spiritual health and the spiritual health of other people is with upreach and inreach and outreach. Uh, We provide uh, opportunities for people. We ask them to be together in ever uh, smaller groups. The smallest group I know of is what you and I have right now. It's Mm. two people. This is the group where a person can feel safe, where they can confess, where they can be accountable. Just out from there might be a triad or the largest groups I have in spiritual formation, spiritual journey groups are six or seven people. Outside of that, people stop talking and in the dominant people start talking. And uh, so lots of levels of relationships from the largest, which is an auditorium, to the next one down, which is our Bible classes, to our small groups, to spiritual journey groups, to one-to-one, to finally, it's just me and God, potter to clay. And uh, so all of those levels, if I can find myself in all of them, I think I've got a, a pretty good plan in place. I would also add to that, I mean, perfectly well said, but I think I think you know you're spiritually healthy when you, according to Philippians 4, you have this peace that does not make sense, that mm-hmm. everyone else around you is mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sensing the chaos, but you're calm. <laughs> right. You have peace that transcends all understanding, um, mm-hmm. surpasses all understanding. Mm-hmm. It's another way to know Spiritually, right now, I may not stay here, but right now, I'm in a good place with God because this is the only explanation for why I have the peace that I have. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you've been leading spiritual formation groups for, I guess, a decade now, um, or plus a decade. What's been most helpful for you and your faith through this process? Well, um, one thing is my elders, my leaders, and my coworkers understand what I'm doing. That's yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, and then, very simply put, the uh, one more thing is this is clearly the most fulfilling kind of ministry I've ever done. I was a campus minister ten years. Uh, I was a preaching minister twenty-one years, and I I love that. But this is by far the most fulfilling thing uh, because just to sit like this morning, uh, I was I was with six men this morning, 530, and we were talking about the difficulties of being quiet in God's presence, of, of stepping away from the world, stepping out of the traffic. And we were helping each other. We were ta- having a real heart-to-heart talk about why is that hard? What can we do about it? And what are we going to change in our lives? And I tell you what, when they we signed off, we're we're zooming right now, but mm-hmm. eventually we will get back to sitting in the same room doing it. When we signed off and when we leave, uh, I don't wonder if that was a good time of ministry. Sure, I know I know it was, and so that's that's very helpful to me. So, what would you tell yourself of thirty to forty years ago if you had the chance first starting out in ministry? Well, uh, this may sound a little bit like a different topic here, but it's not. One thing I would say, you married the right person. Hmm. My wife is a model of everything I've been talking to you about from day one. Now, for a while, I didn't see it. I was blind. I was oblivious. And while I was going to graduate school studying religion for ministry, I was not practicing what I was studying, but I was living with it. And uh, so uh, I, I, I should have seen it earlier, and I'm just so grateful. One, another thing I would have, uh, I wish I would have known earlier, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I don't think I believed that. I think I thought Christianity is a hard life. It's a difficult life. And what I've learned is if I dabble in it, if I, if it's my hobby, it's always going to be difficult. But if I give myself to it, you get better at what you repeatedly do. If I give myself to compassion, if I give myself to generosity, if I give myself to forgiveness, then over time, that will become my way of life. And so I wish I had, uh, I jumped into that earlier. Now I did get it early enough, and I'm thankful for that. Um, But I wish I had listened to all of that and learned it much earlier. That's some powerful words, Bob, especially what you had to say about your wife. That's very, uh, that's inspirational. So uh, people listening to this today, people listening to this from all over the country, and many of them are not from Preston Crest. If people wanted to contact you to learn more about spiritual formation, what's the best way to do that? Well, first, just contact me here at, at, uh, at Preston Crest office. I will say that, and, and you know this, that we are all actively working on a new website. Mm-hmm. And there will be lots of uh, spiritual formation resources there when that finally opens up soon. 
there'll be a whole section devoted to it. There'll be another section devoted to small groups and lots of resources and materials and essays and things that have been written about this that will all be there. Uh, and then if you are here, if you visit here or you're a member here, uh, we have a spiritual formation resource kind of a board in mm-hmm. our hallway in the foyer. And there are materials, there's booklets, there's study guides, uh, there are bookmarks. There's the uh, uh, Mark 135 bookmark you know, mm-hmm. that has the four movements mm-hmm. in there that we talked okay. about. That's okay. there. That when you're reading, use that as your bookmark. There's how to pray for your husband, how to pray for your children. There are all kinds of resources there uh, for people as well. And now that um, the pandemic is, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you've been vaccinated twice now. Congratulations. Right. Right. Do you do seminars? Have you done seminars at churches about this? Oh, yes, I do that. Well, I would highly encourage anyone listening to this, have Bob come. Bob's a great teacher, great speaker, and obviously listening today has some great, great information about spiritual formation. Well, we want to thank you, Bob, for being here with us today. Thank you. Enjoyed it. And want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to today's episode on spiritual formation. We're going to be continuing this series, uh, spending some time with each Pressing Crest minister and hearing about their respective ministries. I know you will be blessed by things that they have to say. I want to close today by reminding you that here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready and navigate your journey. And as always, to keep your eyes on heaven. And we will talk to you next time.